Armoire makes getting dressed easy. With a clothing rental membership from Armoire, build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five-minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic, personalized closet. The styles show up at your door in as little as two days. Then when you're ready for new clothes, just swap them out for more new-to-you styles. My favorite thing about Armoire is all the different style and occasion options from casual to athleisure to night out, work formal, work casual, a total of eight different occasions, three weather options, and 11 categories including accessories, outerwear, and blazers, just to name a few. With Armoire, you can always have something new to wear without the hassle and closet clutter. You know the feeling. You open your closet, it's full, but you have quite literally nothing to wear. You're bored with everything in there. Enter Armoire. Armoire allows you to rent high-quality designer clothes for every occasion. Whether you're planning your outfit for date night, packing for a conference, or in need of a gown for a black tie event, you will be the best-dressed person in the room. Right now, my listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off the first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash parenting. That's armoire.style. A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash parenting to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Your Village podcast, Parenting Beyond Discipline, the place to learn about all things parenting and get your questions answered. I'm your host, Erin Royer. I've got two questions we haven't really covered before, so that's always fun. The first is about helping a child who is exhibiting a shy stage. The second is about a toddler who strongly prefers one parent over the other. What should you do when that happens? But before I get to the questions, I wanted to quickly share about a movie I took my oldest, Carter, to see over the weekend. It's called Science Fair, and it follows several kids, these are adolescents, from around the world through the process of qualifying for the International Science and Engineering Fair. I thought he might find it enjoyable and possibly even come away with some interesting insights into hard work and the idea of work for the sheer joy in the journey of discovery and to make the world a better place. Anyway, I cannot recommend it enough. He was just on the cusp of grasping some of these concepts at being just a few months shy of his 10th birthday. Now, I think he'd have gotten a lot more out of it in another year or two, but he enjoyed spending the time with me. And I think seeing kids who are as young as 14 and 15 doing such big things was really inspiring for him. So if you have kids in the later elementary or middle school or high school age, and you think they might get something from this film, I highly recommend it. Again, it's called Science Fair. Now, some of the kids also had quite a lot of personality, heart, and of course, they all had drive. So it was really great to see, very entertaining and inspiring. Also, at the very end, 
After I answer both of these questions fully, I will talk a little bit about my race coming up this Sunday, the Half Ironman near Palm Springs, California. It's going to be a rough one because the water temperature is currently 53 degrees and it could drop a little more before then. For those of you who are not in the U.S., 53 degrees is, and you're probably better at translating into into Celsius than I am, but I believe that's around 12, 11, 12 degrees Celsius. So I am not one who does well in the cold. So I'll share a bit about how I'm preparing for that adventure as much as I even can at the very, very end of this episode. Our first question is from Devin, who writes, My son will be three in December, and he is so much fun. He is generally cooperative, loving, and kind. He responds very well to boundaries and the peaceful parenting techniques we've learned from your units and podcasts. He interacts well with his peers and adults, though he has always taken a little time to warm up to new people and situations. Often he observes the playground or classroom for a while or a whole day before he dives in. We do a lot of foreshadowing to help him with new situations. So the question is this. Recently, he's been extra shy and or faking being shy, and it's driving me nuts. He puts his fingers in his mouth and hides behind me or has a goofy grin and refuses to say hi to people. Not just new people, but babysitters he loves and last year's daycare teacher too. It's okay with me if he tends to be more introverted, which may or may not be the case, but it's important that he be able to interact with people, and this seems a bit out of character for him anyway. What's going on, and how do I encourage him to move through this phase without getting into a power struggle? Now, I love how Devin sees the potential for pushing too hard, leading to a power struggle, and wanting to do whatever he can to support his son's development and avoiding that outcome of a power struggle at the same time, which usually just works against us, right? So for Devin and any other parents who are dealing with a shyness stage, whether it feels out of character or even if it seems to be your child's go-to reaction to situations, even familiar ones, here are some tips. Now, it is likely that he, meaning Devin's son, is just going through a stage of feeling more shy, even if it is with people he knows. Now, with a child who has a propensity towards shyness or introversion, it is more likely to come and go throughout toddlerhood, even into the early elementary school years. It also could be increased because he may have gotten some kind of attention, positive or negative, for the behavior at one point or another. And if so, he has continued the behavior because it's become a power play, a way to get some control. So the best thing to do is to not make a big deal about it. The foreshadowing is great and lets him know what you expect or would like to see, but don't force it. And if he doesn't act accordingly, then it's best to ignore the behavior rather than bringing attention to it because the attention to it gives him power and lets him know that he has something over his parents. So soon he's doing it out of a feeling of power and control rather than out of true shyness or feelings of being overwhelmed and are uncomfortable and therefore will continue so long as he feels it meets some need for maintaining control of a situation. So saying something like, your babysitter Olivia is coming in an hour. When she gets here, it would be nice if you would greet her with a nice hello. Then when she arrives, you model the behavior. Hi, Olivia. It's so nice to see you. If he hides or acts shy, you can ask him, would you like to say hello to Olivia? If he says no or keeps hiding, then you can just say, okay, whenever you're ready, I'm sure Olivia would like to get a hello from you. 
This allows him to work through his shyness, lets him know you aren't going to battle him on it. If it is for attention, he'll realize it's not going to bring attention or give him any power, that you've just laid it back to him to decide. So soon he'll move right past it. But children who have a propensity towards shyness will have bouts of it, and that may take you by surprise throughout toddlerhood and even into the early elementary years, like I mentioned. Now, we had some struggles with this. With my daughter, when she was three or four, And she went through the stage for two weeks where she got totally shy, the separation anxiety, and didn't want to be dropped off at preschool. She started clinging to me and crying. She'd been there for six months or more. It was a small school, a tiny school, and two of the other 11 kids who were there were her own brothers. So that's eight kids out of 11 who were kids that she didn't live with. So there were two teachers who were so sweet and amazing, and she loved them both, but she just went through this stage. I did the old, this is the protocol thing, dropping her off, saying goodbye, and I love you, and I'll be back at four to pick you up routine for a week and a half, and she was still clinging and crying. I had a million things to do, and I was feeling inconvenienced, but I decided to take her with me on a couple errands and spend a little extra time with her. Now, at first, I'm mulling over in my mind, am I going to set a bad precedent, giving attention to this behavior? and making it worse. But as I thought about her behavior, something in me told me she really needed that from me. She just needed that extra connection, that extra mama time. Now our house was and still is crazy with three kids 20 months apart and my gut told me she was just feeling a real need to connect with me. So I decided to try this approach and if she started pushing me to do it the next day and the next day, then I would definitely just go back to setting the boundaries at drop off. But I figured giving the extra attention was worth a shot and so I did it. We ran a couple errands and I took her out for a snack, I think at Starbucks or something, then took her to school and drop off was no problem. The next day, no problem, no problems after that. So my instinct turned out to be right. So the point of the story is that parenting can be a bit of an art in tuning into the cause and seeing what our child might need or might be looking for. Given that your son is just being a little shy and silly, it is a different situation than what I had. But just setting up an expectation, modeling, offering an opportunity for him to follow suit without trying to coerce or force will help him onto his path of becoming a polite young person as he works his way through this stage. Now, by the way, my daughter is the most outgoing, friendly kid you've ever met now. She was still shy when she entered TK transitional kindergarten that following year, but just blossomed and has been offered the lead in the school play every time her grade has had a play, including singing solos and did theater this past summer, along with a speaking part and also the solo. So this is no indication that a child who's shy now or struggling with separation anxiety will be forever shy or introverted. It could just be a stage. For anyone who's dealing with this type of situation with your young child being overly shy or clingy, especially when you try to leave him or her, you can see the class on separation anxiety on the website, yourvillageonline.com, under the health and development section. It covers the developmental reasons behind separation anxiety, why some kids are more prone to it than others, the steps to working through it both for the child and the steps a parent can take to make the separation easier for both of them, including a list of do's and don'ts. There's some don'ts on there that when you do it actually makes it worse. So they're good ones to stay away from. Hey, Parenting Beyond Discipline listeners, ready to create a home that fosters love, warmth, and style? Look no further than Home Threads, your partner in crafting a nurturing environment. 
At HomeThreads.com, explore a thoughtfully curated collection of furniture designed for families who believe in positive parenting. From cozy reading nooks to durable playroom essentials, our pieces are crafted to enhance your parenting journey. HomeThreads has an incredible selection of furniture, decor, and accessories like throw pillows, blankets to snuggle under for family movie nights or reading time that helps you create the warm, cozy home that is the foundation for happy family memories. I love all the great pieces I've gotten from Home Threads to finish the look in my home. Gorgeous yet durable and cozy accent throw pillows, blankets, and some really cute wall decor. I have an ocean theme throughout my downstairs, so I got a couple of really great wall pieces to finish that look, and some picture frames for the family photos. Visit homethreads.com parenting today and get a code for 15% off your order. That's homethreads.com parenting parenting to get your code for 15% off your order because great parenting deserves a great home. Home threads. Love where you live. To me, there is nothing more important than my family's health and well-being. We all know the quality of the air in our home is important, but did you know indoor air quality can be up to a hundred times dirtier than outdoor air? I've got to tell you about Puro Air. In 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, dander, and gases from the room. Puro Air uses a stronger filter called a HEPA-14 that filters pollutants at a microscopic level and is backed by scientists from Harvard and MIT. In laboratory studies, users saw noticeably cleaner air in just 30 minutes. When it comes to babies and children, there's nothing worse than dealing with a cranky baby or child who can't sleep because of congestion. Air purifiers can help reduce congestion and improve immune system function to fight those winter colds and flus. I use my Puro Air purifiers to clean the air in my home, especially in our bedrooms while we sleep. It has a quiet, relaxing hum and cleans the air from pet dander, allergens, viruses, dust, mold, odors, and contaminants. It has four levels, low, medium, high, and sleep and four different timer options so you can customize it to your home and your needs. Check out Puro Air at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. Puro Air is the only air filter that uses a HEPA-14 filter. That's getpuroair.com. The next question is from Rachel about an extreme parental preference, and she wrote, Thank you so much for your podcast and website. We're members on your website and have been watching different classes. A lot of the tools and approaches have been very successful with our two and a half year old. So thank you. And you are welcome, Rachel. And I'm so happy when I get these kinds of emails from parents about how well things are working or how it's turned things around for them. It really, it really just makes my day and helps me know I'm in the right place and doing the right thing. So I do have a question though regarding behavior of my son that started last December, so almost a year ago. He highly prefers me over my husband to the point that he only wants me to do things for him, get him out of his crib, change his diaper, get his snack, talk, really anything, and he's actually pretty nasty about it. We have been working on kind words and expressing emotions because he is strong-willed and doesn't hesitate to tell us how he's feeling, yelling and some hitting. Lately, he has been pretending to hit and spit at my husband, telling him to go away. It even happens when he gets hurt. For example, if he trips and is crying, he gets mad if my husband even looks at him. He only wants me to comfort him. He often tells me not to talk to daddy, or if my husband asks a question, he says he wants to talk to mommy. 
We have tried everything. Before your podcast, we tried timeouts, ignoring to not fuel the fire, telling him it's unacceptable. Lately, I've been saying things like, I'm going to walk away until you're ready to be kind to your dad. And more background for you, my husband is a wonderful partner, rarely raises his voice, and we both stick to our guns as far as boundaries and not letting my son get away with things he knows he shouldn't be doing. Also, my husband works from home, so he is able to leave his office several times a day, eat lunch with us, etc. My husband has also been super involved from the moment my son was born, sharing all parenting duties with me completely. We assumed it was just a stage, but now that it's going on a year, it's exhausting. Any tips or suggestions you may have would be much appreciated. Thank you again for the wonderful work that you're doing to help us navigate this parenting adventure. So Rachel is a member, so I did share this information with her right away. I always answer these questions within a day or two that I get from my members. And I let her know that this is a common phase for some children, for children to go through a phase of preferring one parent over another. And it can feel quite hurtful to the rejected parent. But by doing the following steps that I gave her, for her and her husband to help his, her husband connect with his son as well as mom and not allowing the behavior to become more entrenched. So for Rachel, I said to have her and her husband take turns with whatever tasks they decide should be shared or divided, bedtimes, playtimes, taking him on errands, whatever, and do it. Let her husband take the lead when it's his turn. If it's more convenient for the dad to attend to the son when he's hurt, for whatever reason, then let dad do it when that's the case. So if dad happens to be standing nearby or mom is inside the house and they're both outside, let dad attend to it. And what dad needs to do is give his son empathy, validate his feelings, and let him know he understands. So My husband would say something like, I know you're sad. You love when mommy reads to you. She's great at it. Or I know you're, I know you're upset. I know you're hurt. And I know you'd like mommy to help fix up your boo-boo. And she's great at it. This dampens the need for the child to argue. Then you want to move forward through the process. So as his dad can continue to read the story, tuck in and give love or take care of him when he's hurt or whatever the case may be. This means her husband would finish the bedtime routine through the child's upset. If mom comes in and takes over or if the husband gives up, dad gives up, it encourages the child to push to be bigger and bolder and louder the next time. So if bath or bedtime are particularly difficult, it may be helpful for the preferred parent, the mom, to be away during that particular time for several days in a row. And the non-preferred parent should strive to make the time enjoyable. So mom can leave the house, go out with her friends, go to the library, go to the local coffee shop and sit there for an hour while dad handles bath time or bedtime to give these two a chance to bond and have that be the only option that night for several days in a row. Now this has become fairly entrenched, so it may take longer than a few days. You may want to do this for a week or two if that's at all possible for everyone involved, meaning both for both mom and dad. If it's a bath time, You want to bring extra toys, make it a bubble bath, give extra playtime. If it's bedtime, read and snuggle a bit longer each night. When the preferred parent re-enters the schedule, continue to alternate nights often and work through the difficult times. It may also be helpful for each parent to spend some fun alone time with the child in the house every month. This makes sure that the individual parent and child get regular time to connect individually. So, 
I asked Rachel, does her husband ever do playtime with their son alone? Take him out on errands or to the park or another special outing. If not, start to make these a part of the repertoire. It's really important that his dad get an opportunity to bond alone with his son to build this connection. If it's a struggle, again, it may help if mom is gone. Go grocery shopping or whatever and let dad be in charge. So when it's time to leave for the park or something else he really enjoys, it's daddy or not at all. He can work through the steps above, the empathy, the validation of feelings, and moving forward with the process. Also, I let Rachel know to support her husband and any feelings he has of dealing with rejection as they work through the process of bonding. It will get better if they are given the opportunity to spend time alone and for dad to take over certain tasks during his turn, even if he gets a lot of pushback from the son. So now I'll share a little about my upcoming race, the logistics, and how I'm feeling and preparing. So if this is not your cup of tea and you couldn't care less, I won't be offended if you turn me off now. So my race coming up is a half Ironman race. That's a 1.2 mile swim, a 56 mile bike, and a 13.1 mile run, a half marathon. The swim is in a reservoir that, as I mentioned, is around 53 degrees. Now for our friends anywhere but in the U.S., that's about 11 and a half to 12 degrees Celsius. Now that's as of today, which is currently five days before the race. The overnight temps are in the mid to low 40s, which means it could potentially drop a few more degrees. The air temperature is expected to be around 46 degrees or around 8 degrees Celsius when we start the swim, around 50 degrees when I get out of the water. I don't know what that is. About what, 9, 10 degrees, 9 and a half, 10 degrees Celsius. I don't know the lowest temp I've ever swum in, probably low 60s, maybe high 50s. And this was a long time ago. But at those temps, you struggle to breathe. You start to hyperventilate to catch your breath, and it makes it extremely difficult to regulate your breathing and perform in the water. You just can't catch your breath. It stings your face and your hands and your feet. And yes, I will be wearing a wetsuit and a neoprene swim cap, but I don't have booties because I didn't know they were legal. And I am not good at being cold. I've been complaining about our weather here in Southern California in the low 60s for the past two weeks. And then it hits the 50s, mid 50s in the evenings. It's cold for me. Then once I get through the swim, I'm standing there wet, dripping in the 50 degree weather. And I'll then have to try to get my hands to warm up enough to move to get some clothes on for the bike ride. Wet hair, chilled to the bone, but hopefully dressed in mostly dry clothes. And there's nowhere to change. You're not allowed any displays of nudity in the transition area. So my bottoms will be wet. I will try to change out of my top by sort of changing under a shirt. But I'm going to head out on the bike and hope that the wind and the chill that I've already had will not keep me from performing decently on the bike. We'll see. It will be a longer transition due to those challenges and needing to dress in a way that normally is not necessary for these races when they're done during the warmer months. So tonight and Thursday night, I will be heading to our community pool in my wetsuit to swim in the unheated pool for 20 minutes at a time if I can stand it, which is probably around 58 to 60 degrees just to try to teach my brain how to coach my body to stay in control and not panic. This is a mind over matter thing, I think more than anything, but I'm just a, don't have a lot of meat on top of my body. My arms are, they're just small. They always have been. So I don't have a lot of meat up there to keep me warm. Then on Friday, 
will head out to the race. I'm planning to get into the actual reservoir on Friday and do the same thing. Try to get in for 20, 30 minutes if I can, if we have permission to do so. Normally you can't swim in these places, and they, but they open them up for the races. So hopefully they'll have it opened up on Friday so that we can start trying to practice in this water. My original goal, I can't believe I'm sharing this because if I fall way short, I've told everyone a goal I didn't even get close to achieving. But anyway, my original goal was to try to finish the race in under six hours and 15 minutes. But with the cold, I've decided to just get through the swim, take my time transitioning and try to enjoy the rest of the race, the bike and the run. My fastest half Ironman time is six hours and 26 minutes with a penalty of four minutes on the bike. And it was a hilly course on the bike too. But this is also back when I was 32 years old. So what, 16 years ago? Wow, that went fast. Anyway, the reality is hitting me. And so I'm starting to feel very nervous. So my job now is to control my nerves, practice in some cold water, even bigger, my family is coming to watch. So I'm putting pressure on myself to do my very best because my kids are going to be watching. This is a big lesson for them about who their mom is and what I'm about, how you don't give up no matter how hard or scary something is. So I just can't get pulled out of the water for getting too cold. That would just kill me if they couldn't see me race and finish. If I worked so hard to get there and we're all there and spending this time and energy and money to do this race and I have to get pulled out of the water because I can't go anymore. So enough about that. I'll be ready and I'll be tough and I'll make it. So I'll report in next week's episode how things actually went. Oh, and I will post some pictures of the race experience, both before the race and then after the race. I'll get some pictures posted of me during the race and after the race on my Instagram account at ironmom2020. So if you're curious to follow me a little bit, you can follow me on Instagram, ironmom2020. If you have a parenting question you'd like answered, send an email to podcast at yourvillageonline.com. Thanks for listening and see you next week when I have one more half Ironman under my belt with a personal record of my fastest time so far.